I need some kiddos. Any kiddo that wants to come on up here? Come on up here. What did we celebrate the first candle? Do you guys remember? What? You cheated. I saw you look back there. That was smart. If the resource is there, use it, girl. We celebrated the anticipation, right? The anticipation of Jesus is coming. What, now watch this. Watch their heads. What about the second one? Love. Love. What was love about? Why do we celebrate love at Christmas? Caring for others. Huh? I don't know. Anybody know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because uh, people want to kiss. Because people want to kiss. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows John three sixteen? Do any of you guys know it? No. For God. For God so loved the world, right? So why do we celebrate love at Christmas time? Why do we celebrate love at Christmas time? Anybody? Because God sent his only son because of love. All you people, I'm calling Santa nothing. Week three. Remember what happened week three? What was different week three? Joy. But what was different about the advent count? It was pink. Why was it pink? You guys remember? It was pink because it's changing, right? We're getting closer to this event. So something changes, and now we're getting closer. So it's a pink candle that represents what word? Joy. Joy. And what is joyful about Christmas time? Get presents. You get presents. I knew that was coming. Family. Family. What else? Christ was born. Christ was born, right? We talked about the good news being the joy that we declare, right? The good news that Christ has come into the world is the joy that we have. Now, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. The fourth Sunday of Advent is peace. What is peace? peace. What does peace make you think of? The word peace. Peace. Yeah. Out, right. The peace sign. Makes me think of something calm. Something calm. Good. <laughs> Quiet. Quiet. The world not being in a fight. Good. Like like not no war. Right. No. So peace can peace can mean so many different things, and so we have to figure out what that looks like for us during this time. What can you do? To bring peace into our world. Yoga. That's a, tr- that's a tough question, huh? Um, okay, preach the gospel, sure. What else? What, what can you do? Like, say, when Christmas break is over and you go to school, what can you do to make your school a more peaceful place? You can scream out. You can scream. Yeah. That's... <laughs> you can be kind. You can be kind. You, you, you can do kind things, right? What you else? You can be the good student. You can be a good student. Get A plus. How, could you, how can you bring peace? Hey, how, how can you guys bring peace to kind of a not peaceful situation? What can you do? Become better. That's beautiful. And hug each other. Hugging. Hugging is peaceful. Stay calm. Stay calm. Don't free out. All right. You guys did great. So here's the thing. We celebrate peace during this time because this time can be a little bit crazy. You ever seen adults get a little crazy this time of year? Yeah. It gets a little crazy. So we have to remind ourselves that Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. Please don't blow out the candles. That Jesus was called the Prince of Peace and that he came to bring peace, even in the midst of like,
crazy messiness. Cool? We good? Yeah. We good? All right. Let's light this one. Hey, happy birthday. See ya. So, in the text that we're going to look at today, there's a very, we're finally actually in a Christmas text, which is happy to me. Like, we've been in these texts that are all about John the Baptist and, and this preparation time, so we're kind of entering into this different kind of time. But it's, it's still, it's, it's not your, your regular Christmas text. We're in Matthew today, so if you want to, like, preemptively get there, it's in Matthew 1. We're going to start in verse 18. But it, we're, we're going to, the text talks about mostly how Joseph must have been, what he was going through during this time. What, what must have been in Joseph's mind. And let me just tell you that um, as, as a dad or a male figure that just loves Christmas, I hate opening my Facebook feed right now. And it's like all these memes about how, oh, I love watching my kids open their presents to their dad and just surprise out what they got as they are. It just drives me crazy. And then for next year, yeah, that's right, we're already planning next year's Christmas Eve service. Next year's Christmas Eve service, we're doing these section of songs that reflect people from the nativity and trying to find a song that is told or sung about Joseph is tough. They just, there's not a lot of them. And, and some of them, they have some and they're just like, you listen to him, you're like, oh, I know I didn't hear that on the radio. It's a weird song. But th- there's this, there's kind of this skip over of what must have been going on. And, and don't get me wrong. I love the fact that Luke focuses his narrative on the outcast or the, the, now I'm going to record this. It's going to be taken out of context. I'm not saying females are outcasts, but Luke tells the narrative from a perspective more from Mary. And, and he's telling that because of the, 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 the voice that he chooses to tell the story of Jesus from. And so Matthew is more of the patriarch. He's, he's more of the, 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 the writer to the gospels, to, 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 the, I mean, to the Hebrews. So he's writing it from this patriotic perspective, and he's coming into it, and we get to hear a little bit about what's going on with Joseph. We get to hear more about what's happening with Joseph in this, in this story through the eyes of, um, of Joseph. And so what I want you to do is I want you to take just a little bit and just imagine what it was like. I mean, it's, we, we do this every year. We imagine what it was like for Mary. And I read the coolest Facebook post just like this last week, and it was talking about how... Okay, like talking about the struggles of motherhood, but based with Mary and talking about postpartum, talking about like as, as human, this is something we forget to look about. We forget to think about Jesus being human at that time. And it was talking the, the, the post mentioned like, did Jesus ever have trouble latching? Or did it, like, and this is going to be a little, uh, I'm not going to say it. It's too, it's not G rated enough, but the, all of these like real authentic emotions that, that mothers have that we sometimes don't put into our nativity that we sometimes just kind of glaze over because it's messy and it's not the fun part of motherhood. It's not the fun part of having a child. But from the perspective of Joseph, there was so much going on. Like, how about this? If you've had kids before, I want you to think about how you were informed of that, mostly from the male perspective because a lot of times, well, women know first, except for in my case. Um, I, I literally said, Julie, I think you're like two weeks late. You better go pee on a stick. Uh, <laughs> but like how did how did we don't know the writer doesn't tell us how joseph found out about this we don't know if like 
a tearful Mary approached him and just like broke down and spilled everything out there and laid it all out. We don't know if he heard from a friend of a friend that heard from a friend of Elizabeth that Mary was pregnant or when Mary came back into town from visiting Elizabeth, there was just no hiding the bump. And, and then Joseph's like, uh, what's going on? We, we, we don't get to know how he found out. So there's like this segment of something that is already missing from the story. There's the excitement of finding out. And, and let me just tell you, for a Jewish family to find out that they're having a child was a huge event. And there's already something now tainted about this story. So Joseph has to come into the story a little bit late and not know. This is not Luke's birth narrative. This is completely different. Luke's birth narrative is uh, uh, the angels opening up in the fields to the shepherds, declaring peace on earth, goodwill to man, go worship your Savior, and everything, they get there, and Jesus is there, and they're singing, and everything is good. This one is messy, it's chaotic, it's cumbersome, it's, it's just a lot of stuff. And, and I think that this one is almost more relatable to the way that we live our lives. There, there's more stuff going on, but at the same time, there's a lot of stuff going on for us too. So for us to be able to relate to this Christmas story, you have to embrace the fact that this is a mess from the very beginning. From the very beginning, this whole thing is just kind of messed up. So let's read it. <coughs> this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. This is how this starts out. And, and I know that most of you understand there's context here. Right? This is not something that would fly in 2019 where you're just like, well, I got her pregnant, so the only way to really do this is uh, leave her. I mean, we, no one in this building would be like, that's a great idea. But this is, this is what's going on. This is what's going on. This is what Joseph is wrestling with. It's what he's struggling with right now. But the scripture tells us one thing about Joseph's character. That Joseph is a righteous man. There's, there's righteousness in him. And righteousness throughout scripture is defined as doing the right thing at the right time. And so Joseph is trying to figure out how he's going to do that. What that's going to look like. And how he's going to enter into this world and this relationship with everything wrong. Now think about this. I, I like the scenario of Mary rolls back from Elizabeth's house, gets off the wagon, like if you see in the nativity of the movie, like this is the scene, right? She's in a wagon coming back from Elizabeth's house. She jumps down out of the wagon, and she's just got this baby bump that there's no mistaking. And Joseph looks at her because he's excited that his, his betrothed is home, and he rushes out, and she's eating too many Twinkies or something. He can't tell what's going on. But like she jumps down, and all of a sudden now he knows that she's pregnant. Just for a moment, put yourself in a first century Jew mindset of, well, what do I do now? I've got some options. I can declare her unfaithful, and we can take her out back and throw rocks at her until she dies. I can uh, say that she was maybe <laughs> PG. Uh, we're going to go G-rated here. Maybe she was forced to do something against her will. <laughs> And, and, and that ended up in pregnancy. Because remember, this is an occupied Roman place. And Roman soldiers weren't necessarily, they didn't know consent very well. They did what they wanted. 
And so it could very well be that that happened. And so that, that, that would still bring disgrace. But we tend to look at this like, oh, they were engaged. But <coughs> so much more than that. They were basically how we would look at being married already. Betrothal was, was a contractual obligation. Joseph had already forked out money. And Mary's parents had agreed on a term. And they, they were ready to do this thing, right? They, they, they were in this. They were, they were contractually binded. So it wasn't just like they give the ring back and it's over. This was a bigger deal than that. This was a divorce. So Joseph has to figure out how to do this. And he had every right in, in Jewish law to just come out and say, we're done. We're over. He is now out of his obligation. He can go. And he is, his status would have been secure. Nothing would have happened to Joseph. Mary, on the other hand, at very least, would have been a complete outcast. She would have been branded, if not killed. Uh, and so there's this thing that goes on in Joseph where he has to wrestle with what exactly is going to be the best thing to do. And Joseph chooses mercy even though he was a follower of the law. It says that he obeyed the law, but he chooses mercy here. And it's the best outcome, not for him, for her. Because even in divorce, which he, it says that he is reconciled, he is, this is what he's going to do. They're going to get divorced. So now, so divorce is still shameful, but at least she'll get to move back into her mom's house, her dad, mom and dad's house, live there. She won't have a good life. She'll be branded forever. But at least she's not dead. And so Joseph decides this is the most humane thing, the most merciful thing to do, and be able to move forward and be able to do this. It's going to be rough today. <coughs> So this is what Joseph decides. He has decided, I'll just divorce her quietly. Everything will just dissolve. It'll be fine. She'll, she'll have a rougher life. And now he'll be the one that is, his reputation's tainted because there's still going to be gossiping going on. Like, I bet you when no one was looking at little Mary and Joseph, they broke their vow. And uh, that's really his kid. So there's going to be all kinds of, spic- and so this is, this is the best situation for her. But after he had considered this, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. In this situation, an angel shows up in the midst of the mess. Remember we talked about Advent's word is going to be in the midst. Three words. Um, in, in the midst. The angel shows up in the midst of all of this and, and, and saves this whole thing. Because Joseph had already made up his mind. This was divorce. This was, we, we were going to end this thing quietly. It was it. And an angel shows up and says, listen, don't do that. Don't be afraid to take Mary, make a wife, and, and just, just live this life and do what you got to do and, and make sure this is happening. So his mind's already been made up, but it changes. It couldn't have been a very easy decision for Joseph at this point. Everything is wrong. And now he's got to do this thing where it's not going to make much sense. But if the angel hadn't showed up in the form of a dream, this story would be radically different. And I'm going to tell you why. 
Because as the angels showed up in the midst of the mess, God shows up in the midst of this mess. God, the angel tells Joseph, you are going to take this child, you are going to name him Jesus. Now there is some huge theological implications on this idea that this dad is going to name this baby. Because once you had an ending ceremony, that kid is yours. Not adopted, not, that, 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 is, that is the same caliber as a bio baby, and that baby is part of your family if you choose to name that child. So God says, name the baby Jesus. And in doing that, he is now part of your family. You are his dad, period. There's no, there, it is a completely non-negotiable, no way out adoption. And now this child has become part of this family. And this, we, this is where we begin to get this adoption narrative from Jesus. And this is why Paul uses adoption language throughout. Because Joseph doesn't just adopt on terms. He does the whole thing. And by naming him Jesus, by, na- by naming him, he has said, you are mine, I am yours, we are a family, and we always will be. It, it's, it's, it's like it's the equivalent of a court date. Right? It's now legal and everything. They are father and son, and this is my boy. And the angel says, name him Jesus, which translates to Yahweh saves, God saves. Now, this was always confusing to me because when you read some scriptures, they quote Isaiah and it says, you'll name him Emmanuel. Well, I always thought that Joseph and Mary were just stubborn because the angel said, or in Luke, we're told, name Emmanuel. Well, Emmanuel translates to God with us, so God saves with us. He doesn't say from far away, like we have these models of, uh, of early America or different, even now today with this, it's called deism, where God is this great watchmaker in heaven that winds up the clock and then sits back and watches everything happen. That's not Emmanuel. That's not God with us. God does not save from far away. God saves amongst us. So Jesus, Emmanuel. And so when you, when you sing the song that runs Jesus, Emmanuel, you're literally saying that God saves with us. It's, they're not separate. They are together. God cannot save without us, without being amongst us. He chose to come. His avenue of salvation is amongst us. And so as we sing, Jesus, God saves with us. It's all one thing that kind of goes together, and it works together, not the other way around. This adoption was solidified because the angel steps into the mess, and God demands that Joseph go and do this thing. So then we have... This leftovers of all this. It, it, okay, so Joseph went and did it, and now he's betrothed to a married lady, and all of his neighbors are talking. And, and nothing is going smooth now. This, is, this has got to be the hardest part now. You, you would think that the hardest part with Joseph going, oh, an angel just came to talk to me. Mm-hmm. No. Now that Joseph woke up and did it, now it gets real hard. Because listen, Joseph's not an idiot. He's righteous and he's faithful, but he knows what it takes to make a baby. A man and a woman. Even like the old stories of the Old Testament. Like these miraculous babies that came. Abraham and Sarah. And even uh, (coughs) Zachariah and Elizabeth. There was still something that took place to make that baby. But in this situation, there wasn't. And he's got to explain that now to everyone. When he goes to work the next day... And everyone's like, dude, what's up with Mary? Because that's how they talked back then. (laughs) No, they actually said, dude, what's up with thy betrothed Maryeth? 
But, and he has to go, yeah, it's crazy, but it's cool because an angel came to me in a dream. And one of those dudes is like, you need to stop eating so late. Because I'm pretty sure it's affecting what's going on in your sleep. He said, no, 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 an angel came. He said, but, but you, you, you know, you, you and Mary, right? You, 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 you kind of cheated, right? He said, no. And, and, and just to show you that it's not that, we're not going to do anything until the baby's born. So there is no kind of speculation at all. This is going to be a virgin birth. Not a virgin consummation. A virgin birth. And so all of this stuff takes place, and Joseph has to live in a world that is totally messy. That really doesn't, it, it just doesn't work with what's going on in the world. We, we, we look at Noah, and we think, man, what a, what a, what a, he had to build a boat, and there was never a rain or nothing? They must have thought he was crazy. I, I'm thinking that you can almost explain away the crazy old man in the desert building the boat. But when you live in a town surrounded by real people with real issues and real stuff, and you have to live your life every day, think about Mary's parents. Everything, everything that's bogged down. If we don't put, our, if we don't put a human spin on the story, we miss so much of it. But there was so much messy stuff going on that they had to live within The, the world was messy. Our, our world is messy. There are people every day that live with diagnoses that they don't want to hear about. There are people every day that are, that are coping and dealing with and trying to figure out how to live with the loss of a loved one. There, there are people that are so tied physically, emotionally, mentally addicted to things that are destroying their lives and they want nothing more than to leave that alone, but they can't. Our life, our world is very, very messy. And this is just where we are. We live in a messy place. They lived in a messy place. Everything about this story is chaotic, is, is just crazy. So this Christmas, when you pile too many people in a room, and you realize how chaotic it is, and if you want someone to pray for the chaos, Karen will come and do the prayer. It's our favorite thing in the world because she always prays for the chaos. But listen to, how, listen to how great that is, though. Praying for the chaos. In the midst of the chaos, asking God to come in. In the midst of the, the wildness. In the midst of your kids bouncing off the walls and waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And everything that kind of goes along with all of it in the midst of that. God is in the chaos. God is still there. He is still with us. He is in the mess. And we can rely on that. We, we can have faith at the fact that even in the, this craziness of the story, God never leaves. The angel shows up to Mary, and Mary says, I am your servant. The angel shows up to Joseph, and immediately Joseph obeys. We have this great story of God walking into these ordinary people and doing this extraordinary thing that no one thought would ever happen. Because, well, it can't. I, I, I think about this story a lot, and I think about, like, what if this happened today? Or next year? Can you even imagine the news coverage of someone claiming to be a virgin that's pregnant? 
It would be insane. Especially because now with the scientific knowledge that we have and how much we know it's impossible. I mean, they, they had a good idea it was impossible. <laughs> but there's just too much... We, we would never... Well, we're just like them. Because the world is messy. And it's hard to see it. But because God is in the mess, he can show up in everything that we do. Mr. Rogers had a quote, and since it's Mr. Rogers for the past month with his movie coming out and all that stuff, he said his mom would always tell him when they watched the news to always look for the good. Because even in the midst of a bombing, there's always a firefighter running in to do something courageous. Even in the midst of, of the chaos, there's always somebody coming in to do something courageous. There's always someone going to help. You, you always read the stories of, and I'll just, I'll, I'll just plug our tribe right now, but Nazarene Compassionate Ministries going in to Louisiana after hurricanes and relief. But there's so many organizations that go down, and they literally are like retired contractors that live out of their RVs for months at a time that go into destroyed areas and just cut up trees and rebuild houses, all this stuff. And, and if we want to, we can focus on the mess, or we can focus on the fact that God is in the mess, that God is in the midst of showing up in our mess, that, that God longs to be part of our mess, that the mess is his business. Because without the mess, we don't need him. And I don't care how clean you think you are, you're a mess. If you get nothing out of this morning but this, you're a mess. And if you don't believe me, ask the one closest to you. They'll tell you. You're a mess. But God shows up in the mess and we can, when we can embrace the fact that that's the gospel. That you're a mess and God is still in the midst of your world. That God still shows up in your world. We have, even in America, we have children that go to bed hungry every night. We have a worldwide refugee crisis that's out of control. We have, we, we have places that are so unsanitary that they have to walk 10 to 15 miles to get drinking water every single day. The world is a mess. There is so much that is just messy. But you know what else we have? We have organizations that are packing backpacks every Friday to send food home with those kids. We have organizations that are going to Africa every single day and drilling wells so they have clean water to drink. We have camps and we have churches and we have people opening their homes for refugees to come. There's a lot of bad and it's very, very messy. But man, we have a God that just dives into that mess and embraces the mess. I think the, the best example that I could think of... <laughs> This, this might be sacrilegious, I don't know. But I sometimes think of God as a Roomba. Because when you think about everything a Roomba does when you go to bed, and you just wake up and it's clean. You wake up, it's been vacuumed, unless your dog pooped on the floor, then it just smears everywhere. But for the most part, you just wake up and it's done. There is so much that God is doing for this world that we don't even see because we're focused on the mess. We're focused on what's wrong. I think part of peace and reaching for peace is seeing the good that's going on and embracing that and diving headfirst into it. How do you become a peacemaker? You see what God's doing and you join him. How do you embrace peace? You see the movement of God's people and you join them. You become the peace that this world needs. 
You, we do that. We do that. So on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we embrace this message of peace, we embrace it in a way that we are willing to be the peacemakers because we're going to see the great that God is doing in the world and we're going to embrace that thing. The band's going to come back up. Um, I'll go ahead and, and, and do... Uh, we have our connecting time stations, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's just too crowded. So do, let, let, let's do this. If you, if, you, if you are in a place where you have got to use the cross, do it. You know, if it but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, you know, at the end of, of Connect Time, we always say that God's big enough to meet you where you are. Let's go with that today. <laughs> <laughs> On Tuesday, you'll have plenty. Oh, oh, listen to this. On Tuesday, now this is, I know most of you aren't going to care about this, but this is, we'll call it my Nazarene nerd dump right now. On Tuesday night, during connecting time, we will have altars again. It's been over a year, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little nuts about that. So, but let's, for today, uh, just connect during these songs. Let these songs speak to you. We're going to end with a very, like a, like, like a song that isn't a church song at all. But let it be just our Christmas card to those of you that aren't going to be here on Tuesday. Let, let, let it be the thing you leave with, and let it bring some joy to your life, and let, let it be... Uh, just the time to reach out. If you brought your angel tree gift, please make sure it's on the table. If you didn't bring your angel tree gift, but you took a card, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, make sure you touch base with Jess or I so we can find out a way to get that from you so we can get that delivered to the family. Um, but l- let, let this song be a song that you still connect. Let this still be connecting time. There's just not a station. Uh, feel free to still get up a gift. Um, <laughs> There's no good way to do that. So, uh, but just just know that we're not gonna we're not gonna be serving communion this morning. It's just it's a little bit too crowded. So, uh, so even after the service, if you brought an offering this morning, you can come up and give it after that. But, but just um, just stay in your seat, stand if you want to worship this song, and then let's all end together with this joyful experience of family.